Today's podcast was taken from a recent webinar we did with Chris Jeppesen at First Trust Portfolios. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Duncan McPherson with Pareto Systems. Thanks for making the time to attend the first in a series of webinars called The Advisor of the Future, where we're going to talk about what separates the best from the rest. And I think the timing now is impeccable because undoubtedly in the last four to eight weeks, you've spent some time with your team on goal setting and strategic planning. So we just wanna add some value to that exercise uh, and hopefully you can translate this into results. As you can see on the screen, we are joined by Chris Jepson, uh, co-author with me of the Advisor Playbook and the Head of Practice Management at First Trust Portfolio. So Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about this this topic, so looking forward to it. Yeah, excellent. And I always like interacting. It's always very complimentary. And I just have to say, without sounding too convenient, I'm such a big fan of First Trust. There's not a bigger advocate for the financial advisor in the industry. Uh, As we all know, there are firms that are trying to work around the financial advisor and go right to the customer and just use AI and all of the robo and digital functionality. And, you know, I know there's a place for that, but the one thing AI will never have is the EI, right? The emotional intelligence, the behavior, the coaching, all of these value adds. And, uh, you know, if, if you're not engaged in a relationship with a first trust wholesaler, I encourage you just to reach out This firm spends no money on advertising. Every dollar, every minute is invested in helping you strengthen your relationships with clients, strengthen your enterprise. And of course, Chris, you and I had a great time creating the advisor playbook. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad you're here. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And and by the way, I didn't put Duncan up to saying that for all their listeners. But it is, we do strive to make the advisor the center and the focus of what it is we do. Well, and it's interesting, just a quick call to action. Um, first of all, if you're not receiving Brian Westbury's uh, Monday Morning Outlook, it might be the best uh, one sheet of paper you'll see every week. Uh, also, when you do connect with your wholesaler, there is a document. Uh, if you think about uh, all of the knowledge that is shared and consumed in this industry, the research done First Trust ranked number one on what is consumed and shared. And that was a who's who, that top 10 list. So that's a pretty uh, meaningful accomplishment for the firm. Thank you. Hey, uh, Uh, if I could, just for those that have dialed in, you look at this title, this advisor of the future. When Duncan asked me to to join this call, I started thinking about, you know, when you you consider the title, the advisor of the future, well, what's the current advisor? What's the advisor of the past look like? Uh, the advisor of the future. And it really, it's, it's a topical thing because of the last three or four weeks, Duncan, I mean, I don't know about you, but we've had some interesting conversation with some pretty elite teams that got shooken up a little bit over the last three or four weeks with the volatility in the market. And I think it's about as timely as is it can be to be able to speak to what the habits and characteristics are of the advisor of the future, the person who looks to these types of markets as opportunity rather than something to just kind of, uh, you know, clench and get through. So 
Thanks again for having me on. Of course. And of course, you know, let's be candid. I mean, you'd have to say that this type of volatility, if it's sustained, I mean, it's probably long overdue. It's not a surprise. And uh, it's a tremendous opportunity. And this isn't just the glass half full. This We've seen this before. You know, you go back 10 years ago. I mean, how many advisory teams did you work with um, who maybe plateaued leading up to 08? And then between 08 and today have seen just incredible growth and uh, upside. So I really uh, want to take a mindset where we say, okay, there's an opportunity here. And again, both you and I have such a profound window on what separates the best from the rest. So there's no theory. Everything here is time tested and it's actionable. And we're going to give you many resources that you can use if this information resonates with you so that you're not uh, left to your own devices. This is not about content. It's about process where there's very high probability for an outcome. So again, we'll walk you through where those resources are. Uh, I'd like to shift for a second and do a sneak peek. Chris and I are currently working on a new book. We're hoping that in May or June, this will be done and ready uh, for release. The blue square method. And I know, you know, Chris, you, both of us were really enjoying the exercise uh, because we're, I'm getting as much out of this process uh, as I think any reader will, because it's really forcing us to think things through. I just want us as a starting point, the blue square method uh, is fueled by the concept known as Kaizen. Okay. So that's a Japanese word. You probably heard it before. If you think about it, Kai is change, Zen is good. So change is good. One thing that is a common thread amongst all of the teams that we work with is that they embrace change. The clay is soft and they're always bought into that law of optimization, constantly refining and optimizing uh, what they do. Now, as you can see, that first four circle Venn diagram, that's something that we kind of backed into uh, accidentally. Uh, but this is what is called an Ikigai, which is also Japanese. This is really a neat uh, perspective on achievement and aspiration. And as you can see in the blue square, the Q is highlighted because it's both qualitative and quantitative success. So personal and professional development. And again, this is drawn from the mindset and best practices of top fee-for-service professionals. But just to get your wheels turning a little bit, and then we'll get ourselves back on track, the Ikigai premise, and there's the blue square, that's true north, that's what we're all moving toward. This is framed with four basic questions, okay? Question number one is, what do you love? Like, what is your purpose? And I'm assuming everybody that's dialed in here today, they get an immense level of fulfillment and purpose coming from helping people look to the future with anticipation instead of apprehension, especially when there's so much noise. So the first question is, what do you love? The second question is, what are you good at? And as you're going to see, we want to talk about the distinction of not just, you know, refining your skills, but really building intellectual property uh, and, and, and things that you know, drive that enterprise value. Okay, so what do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? And if you think about financial planning, it's fluid and dynamic, and there are many unmet needs that are developing, especially when you think of demography. 
So I want you to look down the road and really, as much as possible, get out in front of what those needs are. And then the fourth question is, how do you monetize fully? So the blue square method revolves around that premise. Uh, I'm really looking forward to when this is released. And uh, again, look forward to that in May or June. The one thing I will say, and Chris, I know you've noticed this too, and this is a common thread. Our clients have immense aspiration as well as appreciation. Like they are very grateful for what they have while they aspire to the things that they want going forward. And I think that about perfectly sums up what the blue square is all about. Those aspirations too don't, don't always translate to production, right? That, those aspirations are quality of life, restoring liberation, order to your life. So it's not always tied to production, but, uh, you know, get on. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, back to the cue. Like, we want you to make meaningful and measurable progress. The meaningful is generally more around the, the person. The measurable is more around the profession. And we want you to simultaneously, you know, achieve your best version of yourself on both tracks. So anyway, a little plug, a little sneak peek on the whole premise of the Blue Square. Uh, and, and again, really nice consolidation of insights of the best people in your field and others, not just financial services, other fee-for-service professionals, CPAs, attorneys, other knowledge-for-profit professionals. It's all invested into this. So anyway, enough of the plug. Let's drill down and shift back into uh, what we're here to talk about today. So... <clears throat> The advisor of the future, it's, it starts with a mindset. And the four components we're really going to uh, take a deep dive on is your mindset around volatility. As you know, on many levels, volatility, uh, volatility is incredibly revealing. Uh, what's that quote? Uh, Circumstances don't make the man, they reveal him. Very revealing. And from a client acquisition perspective, the mindset is, is that you're at your highest level of referability when there's volatility. Okay. So that's number one. And Chris, feel free to chime in as I start to uh, uh, go down the path here. The second mindset uh, speaks to commoditization. We want you to consistently, perpetually be decommoditizing your value so that Clients, strategic partners, anybody you interact with are crystal clear on what you're worth. They're not focusing on what you cost. Okay, so more on that. Then, of course, and this is where it gets really interesting, is time allocation. Now, many of you have received uh, the advisor playbook. That was Chris and I, the book we last uh, came out with a couple of years ago. You might remember the image on the cover, it's a giant hourglass and somebody has popped the lid and they're pouring in more sand. There are efficiencies and procedures that you can deploy that help you buy time and get more from the day instead of just through the day. More on that in a second. And then finally, the concept of growth, pure growth methodical growth, both organic and scalable. I want you to consider how you can uh, achieve 
critical mass, like an inflection point around compounding growth uh, throughout 2019, no matter what headwinds uh, confront us. So that's really the framework around the advisor of the future. And again, Chris, feel free to chime in at any point. You know, on, if I could, let's just, let's just start with the first one on volatility, because that's what's on a lot of people's minds right now. Uh, what is it and how do advisors take markets like what we've seen where we see thousand point days on the downside and you know all the studies point to it that it's in these markets with this volatility that your clients begin speaking with their friends and peer groups about you more than at any other time. So what are they talking about? This is the opportunity that I was saying that when you look and, and Duncan, you mentioned, is it anxiety that you're feeling that we're going to have more of those days? We're going to have more of those days. You can count on it. So is it anxiety that you're beginning to feel that those days are coming? Or do you anticipate leaning into those days, leaning into them with opportunities to give your clients ways to describe your process that takes advantage of markets like this? Do you go into your client strategy meetings with a defensive nature, giving reasons why they've, they've had the performance that they've had or excuses, or do you stand behind your process and focus on the outcomes rather than the interim volatilities? Now, one of the strategies, and, and we're going to provide you a couple of takeaways, and one thing that I would have you think about with the volatile markets that we're in is this idea of professional contrast, something we talked about in the advisor playbook and something that you can do to just, and not a, not a real imposing way with a prospect, but for those people that you, you know, that would stand to be benefit, be benefiting from your process to at least highlight maybe a little bit about your process while exposing the alternative, their current advisor in the process. So one of my favorite books is The Wedge, How to Get Your Competition Fired by Randy Schwantz. Fantastic read. And he talks about leveraging this wedge principle by using effective questioning to demonstrate the differences between you and, and your competition. I would consider questions like these with prospects in volatile markets. I'll give you an example. One of the strategies of, of demonstrating that, that your process fully anticipates and takes into account volatile markets is in a question with a prospect, something like this. You can imagine. You know, I'm curious, John, you mentioned you're over at ABC Wealth. Uh, I'm curious, when your advisor reached out to you this last month, and talk to you about the volatile markets and highlighted their process for both hedging or creating a, a defensive posture in these markets or taking advantage of buying opportunities, are you comfortable with how you've positioned your portfolio to benefit from them? What I like about that is the assumption in the question, not did your advisor or or have, has your advisor, but when, when your advisor reached out to you, that has not changed. All of the current data still suggests 
It is communication that is meaningful in nature that drives a, a client to consider alternatives. If you're not reaching out, if you think that by sending an email, because you're doing some kind of an economic webinar from someone from your home office that you're inviting your clients to dial in and listen to, that that will suffice as meaningful communication with the client in volatile markets, then you're the current, you're the advisor of today. You're the advisor of yesterday. The advisor of the future doesn't leave it to other people to deepen their relationships. They take ownership of it. And by using effective wedge questions to do it, uh, Duncan, I haven't seen people, I haven't seen more excitement from the elite advisor group uh, in the last four weeks than in the last four years. It's been, it's been neat to see them take advantage of it. I have to agree. And of course, what Randy's uh, wedge approach activates is the contrast principle, but with immense professionalism and diplomacy. You're not attacking the incumbent. You're helping somebody come to their own conclusions about what the gaps and the unmet needs are that they have. And if you think about this, the advisors of today are so fixated on their technical ability and their core competency. And what this volatility is doing is pushing their value around a focus of products, pricing, and performance. And now they're painted into a corner. The advisor of the future is constantly engineering. They're not just managing wealth, they're managing a client experience with a practice and they're managing relationships. Their clients trust not just the people, but also the practice and that process. And what you're describing there activates contrast. And here's what's interesting. You think about how many friends and family members of your clients defected from an advisor and have been doing it themselves for the last couple of years. And now they're feeling vulnerable. You think about how many friends and family members of your clients have nagging doubts about their current provider because of a lack of communication. Money is so incredibly topical. You think about all of the geopolitical issues, you know, what's up with gold, what's up with Russia, etc. Money is topical. The question is, when a friend gives your client permission and says, hey, are you, are you happy with your financial advisor? Have you coached your clients to respond to that? And again, not with pitching, you're not pitching the idea of a referral as a favor you're asking of your client, you're positioning it as a service you're providing to the client. That's key because I'm sure you are referable, but how many advisors do you meet, Chris, who are referable? Like you meet them, you realize, okay, this is solid, but yet they're not getting the quality or quantity of referrals they feel they really should. They're their own best kept secret. They don't talk about it. They don't communicate the concept of introductions. They've got this vein of gold of untapped advocacy. Volatility is your friend. So if you'll follow some of the procedures that we give you, you can convert intent and referability into consent where clients will take action and call you. Remember, an advocate isn't just an advocate for you and your process. They're an advocate of the friend. They see the alignment. They make the introduction. I want you to look at this as a tremendous opportunity. I, I've got to just share one quick conversation where we have imprint constantly 
what does that actually mean? Here's a takeaway for you. And, and if you think it's just semantics, well then, okay, yes. Uh, but words have meaning and they can leave a positive feeling about working with you so that when the topic does come up, because the topics will, that they'll be able to reference something that's differentiating in nature from your process and the alternative. So here's just a, a quick idea. I was speaking to an elite advisor, a Barron's top advisor this, this week. And one of the things that he said uh, was, and it, it caught me because I'm listening to the language that they use. He said, you know, we mentioned to our clients on our strategy meetings when they came in and I told them, hey, thank God we, we were invested in this space or we were invested properly. And I said, hold on a second. I said, I don't know that I like the thank God idea that almost communicates that it was luck that you were invested where you were invested. Why don't we instead use the phrase, look, as part of our process, we were invested in this space. We fully anticipate the interim volatility. Our focus continues to be on our process, which lends to a very predictable outcome. And your financial picture has not become less focused because of the interim volatility that we face. Using as part of our process, instead of thank God, or, or we're doing this, or we've taken a look at this. Look, our process is a way to constantly imprint on, on people that it's proprietary and to speak about your process when speaking with their friends or family. Well, that is a perfect segue. Uh, so the mindset around volatility, it is your friend, and uh, there is a vast field of untapped opportunity waiting for you to there. there. We're going to talk about that in a second, but let's bridge what you're saying there into the next point and talk about commoditization. The advisor of the future is constantly striving to not only achieve professional contrast, and differentiate from the pack, but ensure that clients understand and appreciate their value fully and completely. And again, this is engineered. Now, let's talk about the road ahead. First of all, how do you decommoditize? You take the abstract, transactional, and commoditize nature of your space. And as you said, Chris, you make it conceptual. You make it proprietary. It, it becomes an intellectual property. It not only has intrinsic value to your enterprise, but your clients understand it. As an example, to your point, I, you know, when we consult with an advisor and we're talking about their value proposition and their branding strategy, we'll often say to them, so what do you do? Like, what business are you in? Many people sort of default and say, well, uh, you know, I'm a financial advisor and I help my clients achieve their financial goals. I get that. As a messenger, that advisor's got all the qualities and skills and intentions you would expect. But none of that is proprietary. It's just intention. I help people. How much more powerful is it to say, well, we have developed and refined a process that helps our clients achieve their financial goals. That small distinction is 
profound at, at not only decommoditizing, but helping your clients internalize and then socialize how you're different. Now, building on that, and I know, Chris, this is something you're very uh, passionate about, not swimming in the pool of sameness around professional contrast as part of your client experience and your service model, when you meet with a client, not positioning that meeting as a review meeting, right? An annual review, a quarterly review, a portfolio review, but positioning that more professionally. And I'm gonna hand this over to you to run with that. That is probably, and everybody knows who's been to our meetings through Chicago or I've had an opportunity to speak and Duncan and I hammer this, but if there was one thing, and there's a few of them, and uh, most, most of you know what, what they are for me, but this is nails on a chalkboard uh, when I hear it. There was something that was going viral. I don't know if you caught this, Duncan. Uh, it was uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett on LinkedIn. It, they, a lot of people have been showing the video and they're talking about uh, you know, wasting their time and how valuable their time is. And, and one of the things that they said, and I, I loved it, was, uh, was Warren Buffett. He says, uh, I can't buy more of it. Time is that important to me, but it's not just important to Warren Buffett. It's important to me. It's important to it's important to everyone on this call. Uh, you took time out of your day, uh, hundreds of you, to to find a way to become more effective. So, how would you like for us to spend that time reviewing things that you already know? For you to ask someone to come in for a rehash, I mean a review of their portfolio, right? Uh, I'm going to, because I trust you, tell you just do whatever it is you think. You know, that's, that's why I'm, I'm paying you. I suggest that we have regularly, regularly scheduled strategy and tactical meetings, something that communicates forward-looking in nature, not backwards. What do we anticipate doing going forward? That's where, that's where the affluence mind is at. What's done is done. You don't need to tell me how it is I performed. I can see how it is I performed. I don't ignore it. I, I'd like to know how the process is holding up. So if you come into this meeting a little bit apprehensive with the market or a little bit defensive in your posture and in your language, you're really going to make me nervous. It's almost like those commercials where they have that surgeon who comes in, or what was it, the anesthesiologist, the person's like laying on the gurney. Yeah, this doctor's okay, I've heard. Uh, this is my first time, but we'll get through it. You know, that's really what I want to hear, right, when I'm sitting on the gurney. Uh, we need to project that professionalism by demonstrating what our process looks like. And that process consists of regularly scheduled strategy and tactical meetings. They're forward-looking in nature, and they're emphasizing on the decisions we need to make because as your life unfolds, this plan evolves. Our process is not a one-time static plan that's dated the moment you leave the office. But we know that it's always changing and we as part of our process will be adapting. That's what we communicate. What's interesting about your point, many people uh, viewing have probably heard that before but have maybe not translated that into an implementation uh, uh, deployment that's part of your code of conduct. So. You know, in the spirit of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. This to us is non-optional. Now, as you said, the concept is investing the past 
into the future, make mid-course corrections, make sure we're completely aligned. Oh, and by the way, this is part of our process. Part of decommoditizing, you know, you want to keep imprinting. Like in a perfect world, I'd like you to not go more than three minutes in a conversation with any client or prospective client or strategic partner without saying, well, that's part of our process. That's the next step in the process. We've developed and refined a process. Yeah, we've got a process in place. Let's stick with the process. Those imprints trigger moments of recognition. And as you know, the force of commoditization activates the law of familiarity. Your business is so abstract. There's so many external dependencies, things out of your control. There's so much delayed gratification uh, in, in what you do. You have to constantly fight off familiarity and loyalty fatigue. And one of the best things you can do, uh, to your point, is keep imprinting the power of your process. So everything you do, like your service, solutions, advice, it's not just good intentions. That's all part of your process. And here's a little call to action for you. If you'd like, because this is absolutely key, we want you to reframe your existing relationships that you've had for a long time, especially in the 20%, they have maybe drifted into a pattern where they don't understand and appreciate your value fully. There's a reframing process that we have called seven pillars, one process, where you can effectively reintroduce yourself and rejuvenate relationships. And I'll tell you, that coincides with volatility. When your client's out there waving your flag, talking about your process, in, in addition to the fact that they trust you, referability goes up dramatically. I, I would add to that, Duncan, that when it comes to that imprinting, we can imprint on the positive or we're imprinting on the negative, right? The relationships don't stay static. Either every conversation yeah. your sales support staff is having with the client is imprinting positively or negatively. And yeah. negative imprints, You've heard me talk about before is, is somebody answering the phone and when they're asked how are things at the office and the support staff repeats or, or answers oh things are busy we're staying really busy oh, you want to imprint that you're busy or that you're at capacity well if you're not looking to grow that's a great thing to imprint if you don't want them to refer people to you continue to tell them you're at capacity or that you're busy so there's a way to reframe and begin to imprint and it's and you don't have to acknowledge you know, Duncan, one of the things you mentioned is, is uh, this reframing, because we've been doing it one way for a long time, a lot of people wonder, well, how do I now reintroduce what it is that we do following these new guidelines without looking like we dropped the ball over the previous 15 years? I know it's a big concern. It, it's more self-inflicted. That's it's not something you need to bring to their, hey, I know that we used to not do this, but going forward, we don't need to speak to the past, just begin delivering and imprinting positively. Uh, that, that would be the takeaway. On that, I mean, you're allowed to evolve and it reflects very well on you when your clients realize that you are refining and optimizing what you do. So it's not an admission of what you failed to do in the past. You're saying, look, we don't have inertia confidence. There's no entropy here. We're always striving to raise the bar. And it's interesting. On an agenda for a strategy and tactical meeting, all you need to do is add one bullet to the bottom of the agenda. And all you need to say to your long-term client is, hey, one last item here. 
Uh, I put this here and it says an overview of our process because you know we've got some great client relationships, but some of our clients are not aware of everything we do. So I just wanna take a second to panoramically give you the complete picture and walk you through our process. That, what that ends up eliciting from the client is they'll say, I didn't know you did all this. So you're not pitching, hey, you should buy something. You're basically positioning the fact that everything you do is part of your process. So make yourself a note to get the video, Seven Pillars, One Process. And it's about eight minutes long. And it's a, it's a plug and play that you can deploy over the next 90 days in all your strategy and tactical meetings that will assist in decommoditizing. And just on that point, like remember, <clears throat> we want you to consistently achieve conversion. We want you to convert customers to clients to advocates. And we want you to achieve ongoing convergence, which means you're not working in the business transacting trading time for money. You're working on the business. You're, you're building something. You, you, you think about clients. I mean, there's a big difference between a client who makes money and has money, right? Enterprise value and the equity in your business can be amplified through intellectual property, including uh, elements that we're referring to here. And they decommoditize and create that professional contrast. That's a great segue to that third, that third principle. Yeah. And this is cascading, right? So I, I don't know if we intentionally focused on the priorities here, but it's kind of playing out that way. Let's now, to your point about Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, contrary to the old cliche, time is not money. Time is more valuable than money. You can get more money back. We all have 24 hours in the day. The advisor of the future, to paraphrase Jim Rohn, he would tell you that there's the difference between getting through the day and getting from the day has everything to do with time allocation, not time management. You can't manage a clock. It's relentless. How you allocate your time. So let's take a deeper dive into that. So first of all, and again, back to the advisor playbook. And incidentally, if you don't have a copy of the advisor playbook, and you'd like either a digital or hardcover version, reach out to your wholesaler at First Trust Portfolios. Chris and I put this book together. They'd be more than happy to uh, drop one off for you. But again, the premises, I mean, you talk about restoring liberation and order to your life. We want the business to serve your life, not the other way around. We want to give you the gift of time. We want to help you buy time. So ultimately, how do you do that? It starts with how you allocate. So, and again, this is high level, but if 80% of your business comes from 20% of your clients, are you consistently investing 80% of your time on that 20%? Now that's common sense. It's not a common practice. Many advisory teams spend 80% of their time reacting to the 80% of the clients who generate 20% of the business. And they do that because they're good people and they care and they try hard. Your most deserving clients are typically the least demanding. Okay. They respect your value. They're busy. They don't micromanage. And we sometimes tend 
to take them for granted and leave them twisting in the wind because we're over here reacting. The first thing I want to remind you on this, and I'm going to hand it to you, Chris, you ultimately have two addressable audiences. You have the clients who need you and the clients who deserve you. Now, don't misinterpret that. I don't want you investing time with people who need you at the expense of the people who deserve you. Your most deserving clients should, you, you should the, 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 be throwing the kitchen sink at them in terms of service to competitor-proof, capture money in motion based on total client engagement over the lifetime, and creating that advocacy. Now, here's what's interesting. The people who need you, the big chunk of relationships that, you know, maybe there's a movable middle in there. Yes, there may be some upside. You've got some clients, right? The Henry's, high earners, not rich yet. I get it. All good. How can you allocate time to be more efficient with those who need you, who granted have potential, but have it not come at the expense of the people who deserve you? And with that, Chris, I'll hand it to you because this is right in your wheelhouse. You know, before I go to this, this, this slide to demonstrate what I'm talking about, Kevin Bishop in our best practices group at First Trust has done a tremendous amount of research, legwork, studies around this space. And this next slide is really an output from some of that research. Now, when you look at this, what I want you to focus on is that far left column that's highlighted, that's I took 10 advisors at random. This is not uh, anything other than 10 random advisors that have attended workshops that First Trust has put on or sponsored. And I ranked them by assets because I want to illustrate to you real life what Duncan's talking about when we talk about creating enterprise value and leveraging time. Top advisors lever. They create margin. Margin is created within a practice in only one of two ways. There's only two ways to create margin or to leverage in, their, in your business. You're either going to reduce the workload or you're going to increase capacity. That's it. A lot of advisors will think, Chris, we're overwhelmed here. I'm so busy. I need another CSA. I need another junior. I, I, we've got to add some people. That might be, might be the case. I would say first, though, Let's look at these numbers. You look at these 10 advisors and going from left to right on advisor team number one, 325 million in assets, 90% is recurring, 74 ROA, bits. Number of households, 788 households, average size of their households, 412, average revenue per household, 3,000. The average number of households per full-time employee in the group. This is my coverage number. We talked about spending time with the 20 that are doing 80% of, of your business. Uh, this is where I, we get to see whether that would even be possible. And then the last two columns are net new households, and then we've got growth. Now, your practice is a valuable asset. For some of you, it's your largest asset. So looking at it as a business for a moment. If I look at all of these columns, and you've done your business planning for this year, What's the most important column for you? What are you focused on? Are you looking at households? Are you looking at net new growth? Are you looking at just assets? People told me it's always an asset game. Well, Chris, I want to get paid if I'm putting an effort. We've we got to focus on more recur, whatever it is. 
let me tell you what it is that I look at first. And this is when helping an advisor acquire another practice or if they're positioning their business to sell it. I'm going immediately, right there, that third to the last column. Now follow from the top there, that third to the last column, 143, 150, 125, 40, hold up. This looks a little different than the other ones. It looks good. All I'm looking at is that 40 number. I can extrapolate by that 40 number. Well, sure enough, revenue per household's triple, average size is triple, number of households, what, a fourth? ROA is higher, recurring is higher, net news higher, new households higher. This is taken at random. I see, we see this across the country. Now, what are they doing? Look at this next slide. This should be an eye opener. This next one takes those, these 10 advisors and a lot of other advisors. Look at the advisor in the blue there on the top. 900,000 in revenue, the practice is valued at 1.2 million. Look at the advisor in the orange, 925 in revenue, valued at 2.5, double valuation. What's this advisor in the yellow doing? Well, this is, this is one of those advisors that's figured out, we've got to deepen the relationship. We've got to increase our meaningful communication with clients and there's only so much time in the day. Here's $20,000 in coaching. Ready? You know what's working. Double down on it and stop doing what's not working. If you'll stop doing what's not working, you're going to find that most of that, and this really goes with your support staff, they're spending time on those spaces. And this can be shocking to a lot of people. Let me give you the, the numbers here. The average financial advisor today in the business, seven years in the business, the average one has 1,100 positions on the books and 290 package products. They're doing it and managing that for over 400 households. Now you tell me, how does somebody follow 1,100 things, 290 different managers for 400 different families? We know what happens. What plateaus happen. That's just what happens. Attrition happens. You get blindsided with the ACAP. Now, let me tell you what an elite advisor looks like. The advisor of the future is doing. The advisor of the future is not following 290 package products. They're, they know that they can't follow 290 managers, much less 1,100 different individual positions. Warren Buffett's not a dummy. He, what can he follow? 30 holdings? Is that about what we've got Berkshire? Because you can follow 30. What's the difference between being, having 30 positions and 300? Well, 30 is where we reach optimum diversification. 300 is where you reach dilution. You can be diversified or you could be diluted. The strategies within First Trust, and many of you are familiar with, have a process for allowing you to invest with a proven discipline, removing emotion from the investment process, requiring scheduled communication with the client upon maturity, and allow you to know exactly what you own with a predictable tax consequence and no embedded capital gains built in. Those solutions are out there. Now, if, if that's something you haven't thought of with regards to a one-to-many service model, here's one thing, and Duncan, I know you've seen this all the time. People are like, Chris, I'm ready to create some time in my business. I want to add some sand to the hourglass. So I segmented my practice. I've got triple A's, double A's, and A's. Then what'd you do? Well, Nothing. What did segmentation means nothing if you don't have a service matrix tiered to the segmentation. 
What is your service matrix for a AAA relationship? What's your scheduled contact? What's the CRM that you're using? And what are the, the wealth management concepts that you're discussing? When we talk about your process, putting all the pieces of the financial puzzle together, how do your clients know what all those pieces are? Or if something's being left out, some unmet need, some untapped opportunity, some exposed vulnerability. That's why we create a service matrix that's tiered to that. And that's one of the, one of the resources that First Trust and Pareto are providing are samples of what these service matrices look like for those different tiers within your practice so that you can look at yellow there at 1.2 and move that to 5.0. And we move that not in a, in a, uh, in a I wouldn't say a, a difficult way. The process is, is defined. It's, an, it's almost like any process. I, I was reading today of the keto diet. You got a bunch of people debating on whether it's good or bad. All I know is I've seen people that went on it three months ago look a lot better today. So I know people that have done this process three months ago that'll look a lot better today and nothing's on trial. So if we play a small role in helping you implement any of them, uh, we'd be humbled to do it, especially in that space, creating time. Uh, yeah, great job. And it's so true. I mean, you think about how many advisors when we pop the hood, do the gap analysis and basically say to them, look, you've got too many relationships. And some embrace the idea of professionally and respectfully disassociating, allocating them to the call center, a protege advisor, whatever the case may be. And it works for them. Some advisors say, I, I, I just can't do that. I mean, some of these are close family members. They're connected to my best clients. I've had them forever. I just can't let them go. They're nice people. I have yet to see a process that simultaneously elevates the client experience and buys time for the advisor and efficiency so that they can strive to clone and competitor-proof the 20%. So, and again, perfect segue to the last component and mindset of the advisor of the future. Talking about growth. Now, right up front, when it comes to your organic enterprise and the correlation between how many relationships you manage and how much money you manage, I mean, you know how that works. The fallacy is grow or perish in simple terms. It's again, profit and progress. It's often said growth is for vanity. Progress is for sanity. So we're not asking you to grow in simplistic terms. We want it to be managed and methodical and not shift from um, what, what you were talking about into this dilution, the dilution of the client experience, the dilution of your efficiency and the dilution of your uh, deliverables. But let's not get too faked out. We want you to grow. Why don't you complete the sentence, Chris? If you're not growing. You never told me you were going to ask me this question. I'm going to, I'm going to guess. Everybody knows, right? It, this, this idea of entropy, which we talk a lot about, things left alone get worse. Practices become more reactive in nature. They, it, we, become, we become really victims of our own success. The, the idea of growing 
but growing the right way or professionally right-sizing by leveraging a one-to-many service model for a given tier of our clients that elevates the experience and, and, re, and builds in that recurring communication. Uh, look, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That's, that's the advantage that Duncan and I have over 20 plus years of studying the most effective practices in the country. We have, there's really no, no other motive other than helping you be more successful and the idea of growing with the process rather than kind of, I don't know, you want me to say dying? <laughs> I'm led by you, whatever, whatever you feel compelled to say. But, oh, and by the way, a quick shout out. You mentioned Kevin Bishop. Uh, if, as you're listening in, if you have a great relationship with First Trust and your wholesaler, uh, perhaps reach out. Uh, we do a mastermind session. It's a one-day deep dive. Uh, Kevin attends many of those and does a masterful job. Not just talking about growth, but also the concept of what Chris was getting into regarding the valuation reality and how to allocate time. So uh, just raise your hand and, and reach out to your first trust wholesaler if you think that lines up with something uh, you want to do. But again, and here's the interesting thing about the next frontier. So we want you to professionalize and standardize everything you do, run the business like a business. The advisor of the future never calls it a book of business. That's the advisor of the past and some in the current. It's a business. Enterprise value, intrinsic intellectual property, all of these things. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we want you to invest everything you do regarding relationship management and practice management into a playbook and take it as seriously as you do wealth management. What can you do to professionalize and standardize to fully monetize? The next frontier is for the advisor of the future who wants to shift from a strictly organic growth model to a scalable growth model. Now you think about the demographic forces at play, you think about what commoditization and the impact that's gonna have on this industry, volatility. There are a large number of people who are looking down the road and are thinking, I think I wanna exit in three years or less. I want a liquidity event and I wanna make sure my clients are in good hands. There's an opportunity for you I mean, as a friend of mine would say, why would I bring on 50 clients? I could bring on one advisor with 50 clients. Now that could be a nice gradual transition. It could be an instant transition and acquisition. There's also the opportunity to attract advisors. There are a number of advisors who, based on volatility and commoditization, have plateaued. They've looked down the road and they've said, you know what, the friction is too intense. I'm not viable in five years. I need to hook my wagon up to somebody who's figured this out and draft in behind them. The opportunity for you to monetize on that through scalable growth, I mean, we have cracked that code. It's called the Franchise Ready Advisor. And we talk about that in the Blue Square Method coming out. We touch on it in the Advisor Playbook. If you'd like to learn more about what mastering organic growth and then pivoting to scalable growth looks like, 
then you let us know. You And, and incidentally, if you're on LinkedIn, look for me, Duncan McPherson. Look for Chris. Chris Jepson will pop right up. We're connected, of course, on LinkedIn. We share actionable proven strategies there pretty much every business day. Kevin Bishop is accessible. There's a pretty deep bench of, of practice management specialists at First Trust. Uh, just say the word. We'll make ourselves available. Um, so let's let's shift. We're kind of running out of time here, Chris. Where do you go from here, everybody? You know what I'd like to do is uh, on this next slide, just kind of on on the take action side. If if we referenced anything that you want to go deeper in, this 800 number, it's area code routed for everybody. As we mentioned, if you want a copy of the book or, or maybe the service matrix, an onboarding service timeline, any of the tools, uh, we want to provide those for you. Uh, the bench is deep. We have specialists. We have incredible specialists. Brian Gallery, who focuses on centers of influence and leveraging uh, attorneys and CPAs. He wrote the book on it. The guy's phenomenal. Uh, we have Jackie Wilkie, who's phenomenal for Next Generation, Women Investing, Pat Wolfel, who's the social and digital branding specialist, Lewin Williams, who knows everything there is to know about how to use UITs in your business, and Kevin and, and, and all the Pareto partners. We are investing in your business because we want it to grow, and we recognize everything we can do to help you grow will resonate and return for First Trust, and that's why we're doing these, and we'll be doing a series of them. So, Duncan, if you want to roll out... Uh, how they might be able to tap into the future, future events. Why don't we do that? Yeah. So you'll receive an invitation and a schedule to upcoming events. Uh, again, I mentioned the masterminds. Let us know if that lines up or you can talk to your first trust wholesaler. The seven pillars, one process video. That's something you can uh, deploy very, very quickly. And again, there's no mystery. I know exactly how that's going to go your clients will be rejuvenated, especially now. And the, the platform for advocacy uh, will be in place. So specifically, see Chris and I on LinkedIn. Talk to your first trust holder, wholesaler to get a copy of the advisor playbook. Uh, we'll send you the seven pillars, one process, and the invitation for the series of these webinars going forward. They're all going to be recorded and archived. So if any of it resonates and you want to share it with a team member or your entire team, uh, this would make for a great strategic planning meeting just to supplement that. And uh, otherwise, I hope if nothing else, we just made you think. We don't assume that there's anything wrong with your business. There's just gaps, little ways to tweak and twist the knobs, minor adjustments. They can lead to major improvements down the road. So Chris, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out. All of you, thank you very much. And I hope to see you on uh, either upcoming uh, webinars or in our travels because both Chris and I travel a fair amount. Okay, Chris, thank you. Thank you, guys.